Hi everybody, Jeremiah Jacques here. It's the Sun Also Rises radio show and podcast. And our first story today begins in rural China, in a place called Laonan, which is in Hebei province. Sometime in the early 1990s, a family by the name of Gao, living there in Lunan, had a son. And they named him Wang. Wang started out healthy enough, but around age four, he started to suffer from some serious pain in his joints. This was a really, um, you know, a rural part of China, so they didn't have many promising local options for treatment. So they ended up bringing Wang to Beijing for treatment. And then a short time later, they brought him to Dalian for another procedure. And then after that, they brought him to Tianjin for yet another treatment. After spending tens of thousands of yuan, the boy's condition was stabilized and his life was saved, but the doctors had not been able to remedy his legs. His little legs had been ravaged by a chronic systemic inflammatory disorder, and he couldn't walk. So the family had to accept that Wang would live his life as a handicapped person. And since the local schools there in Laonan were not set up for handicapped children, this also meant he would live his life without schooling. In the mornings, Wang would sit in the doorway of their home and watch the other children in their village walking by on their way to school. And it was tough for him. He was discouraged, and his mom, Gao Shuzhen, was heartbroken. But what could she do? The schools wouldn't accept him, and she herself didn't know how to read and write. And Mr. Gao had a demanding job in the city, and also a rice farm on their land that took up all of his time, so neither of them were in much of a position to help Wang. Well, the family had another child. This was somewhat rare in many parts of China, at least up until 2015 when the one-child policy was scrapped. But in rural parts of the country, even during the one-child years, families were often allowed to have two children. So the Gao family had an older daughter who was in middle school at this time. And the daughter agreed to help her mom teach Wang. They determined to teach him to read and to write and just to teach him all they could. And they apparently wanted his schooling to be structured and as official as they could make it, rather than just sort of informal. So the sister ended up quitting school, and they set up a designated part of their home for Wang's lessons. And they set out a schedule, and maybe because it was so structured, word about this homeschool for a disabled boy spread through the village. And it turned out that there were numerous children in the same predicament as Wang, disabled in some way and unable to attend school because of it. Several local families asked the Gao's if their children could come and learn with Wang. And in early 1998, the Gao's decided to open their home to as many physically disabled children as they could. An article about this appeared in a publication called womenofchina.cn back in February of 2013, and it says, quote, What Gao Shuzhen had said to her son about a homeschool developed into a plan to open a classroom at her own home, providing children suffering from physical challenges a place to study. In April 1998, Gao's homeschool was established. The school was simple, with only four desks and two blackboards. And then um, 
Well, yeah, continuing on in the article here, it says, Before school, Mrs. Gao and her daughter rode bicycles to pick up their students from their homes. And after school, they took them back. At noon, the children stayed at the Gao's home for lunch. The school was completely free. End quote. So the school was free for these students, but it was not free for the Gao family. They fed the students with the rice they grew on their family farm. And the article says, quote, When the farm was not busy, Mr. Gao worked in the nearby city. All of the money he earned was used to cover the school's expenses. End quote. Well, this was an extraordinary service that the Gao family, um, you know, Mr. and Mrs. Gao and their daughter were providing. And news about it soon spread beyond their village and into some neighboring villages and townships. The article continues, saying, quote, As the number of the students increased, the Gao's bought a second-hand van to pick up and take students home. Mrs. Gao and her daughter drove the van in turn. In order to protect two children who had severe disabilities in their limbs from injuries caused by bumps, she would hold them in her arms all the way. This story was also picked up by China.org.cn back in 2013, and it says others in the local community ended up volunteering to help the gals, and the school kept on growing. It says, quote, For 14 years, this special school has helped change the lives of over 100 students. From what I can tell, the gals school is still operating now, so that number is likely now approaching maybe 150 students or so that they've helped. So many children who, despite their disabilities, are now learning and studying and developing, thanks to a family who saw the importance of education and who devoted themselves to educating those who otherwise wouldn't have had any formal um, educational opportunities. In an interview with China Daily, Mrs. Gao said, quote, despite their physical handicap, these kids are as smart as other children. I often tell the kids to study hard and be a useful person so as to repay the kindness. For the next story, we'll go about as far away from Hebei Province, China, as you could get, to rural Iowa, here in the U.S., Back in 2005, a man from there died. His name was Dale Schroeder. And a short time before his death, he told a friend that he had just made arrangements for his savings to pay to help some kids continue their education. He said, I never got the opportunity to go to college, and so I'd like to help kids go to college. That's Steve Nielsen, who was Dale's friend, and who Dale talked to about his plan before he died. Steve is talking there to CBS affiliate KCCI-TV in an interview conducted back in July. Dale had grown up poor, and he had worked as a carpenter for most of his long life. He was that kind of a blue-collar, lunch-pail kind of guy? He had worked for the same small construction company for 67 years, and he lived very modestly. Went to work every day, worked really hard, was frugal, um, like a lot of Iowans. Steve recalls that at the time of Dell's death, which happened when he was 80, by the way, 
Uh, he apparently had just two pairs of jeans. He had church jeans and work jeans. So Dale was a hard worker, and he lived frugally. And toward the end of his life, he told Steve that since he had never married and didn't have any children of his own, that he wanted to leave his savings behind to go toward helping others to pursue education. Steve thought Dale's money might have been enough to send one or two kids to college, but Dale kept talking about it in a way that made it seem like there was more than that. Finally, I kind of was curious. I said, how much are we talking about, Dale? And then came the bombshell. Oh, just, just shy of $3 million. I nearly fell out of my chair. So Dale had saved up nearly $3 million from his long life of working hard and spending little. And he left specific instructions for the kinds of people he wanted to send to school. He wanted to help kids that were like him that probably wouldn't have an opportunity to, to go to college but for his gift. So Dale arranged to have his money go to small-town Iowa students who otherwise wouldn't have had much opportunity for college. These were people like Kira Connard. I grew up in a single uh, parent household and I had three older sisters, so paying for all four of us was never an option. After high school, Kira wanted to further her education so that she could help others, but she saw no way to pay for university. Almost made me feel powerless, like I, I, want, I want to do this, I have this goal, but I can't get there just because of the financial part. But right around the time she graduated from high school, she got a phone call. The man on the other end of the call told her about Dale Schroeder and the money he left. And he told her that she was exactly the type of person that Dale had wanted to help. And I <laughs> broke down into tears immediately for a man that would never meet me to give me basically a full ride to college. That's incredible. That doesn't happen. Dell's money ended up being enough to pay tuition for 33 people, all people that he had never met and who wouldn't be able to thank him for the gift. In July of this year, the recipients of Dell's gift held an event to honor the man who had changed their lives. The 33 recipients are now teachers, doctors, and various other kinds of professionals, and they know that Dale never had children, so they call themselves Dale's kids. And there's only one thing that Dale asked of these strangers that he left his money to. Steve explained. All we ask is that you pay it forward. You can't pay it back because Dale's gone, but you can remember him and you can emulate him. Many of us may have heard our parents or grandparents talk about how hard it was for them to go to school when they were children. They had to walk uphill through all types of weather for many miles. This may seem like the kind of thing that doesn't happen anymore in modern times, but in rural India, even today it is nothing short of a battle 
for many students to make their way to schools. An article by The Better India, published back in August, says, quote, Waking up in the wee hours of the morning, crossing a jungle or a river in knee-deep waters, walking for several kilometers to reach the school. Unfortunately, this remains a reality even today in the remotest parts of India. During monsoons, road blockages further make it difficult for children to attend schools, which often results in kids dropping out. End quote. So that's a tough reality that many Indian students in certain parts of the country contend with. And as the article said there, it prompts a percentage of them to give up and to quit attending school. But there's a dentist, a man named Suwas Darvakar, who is waging a one-man campaign against this problem. Dr. Darvakar is uh, he's a dentist today, and he's reasonably wealthy, but as a child, he was poorer than most of us can imagine. He grew up in the slums of Mumbai, and for many of the children there, the main concern each day is just to try to get enough food to survive. So going to school is often seen as a, a privilege. But Darvakar was taught at a very young age about the importance of education. So even though it sometimes seemed really quixotic, and even though the weather was often terrible, and there were many more pressing demands, and even when it seemed like everything was conspiring against his ability to attend school, Darvakar still tried his best to never miss a day of classes. He told The Better India, quote, At a very early age, I realized the importance of education, and no matter what the day was like, I tried to not miss school. From studying under street lamps and wearing a torn uniform to traveling barefoot, I've done it all. So that's a person who really sees that education is precious, a person who fought to improve himself, and he says he also received a lot of help from others. He said, quote, I'm a dentist today only because my school friends, teachers, neighbors, and some kind-hearted strangers helped me. So Darvikar was clearly ambitious and self-motivating, but he also acknowledges that he received a lot of assistance along the way and it all added up to help him achieve his goal of becoming a dentist. But Darvikar didn't stop there. Remembering how hard it was for him to get to school, he is now on a campaign to help others. He said, quote, Now that I'm on the other side of the table, I try to contribute in my own way wherever I can. And the way that Darvikar is found to be most helpful is to give bicycles to rural children. Here's another quote from him. We've been conducting free medical camps in tribal areas for a very long time. During those camps, I used to meet volunteers who would provide free stationery to kids. Through interactions, I got to know about the school dropout rates due to a lack of connectivity. Everyone thinks of helping school children, but no one thinks of how to get the child to attend school. So that's how the cycle donation project started. So Dr. Darvakar's project is called Cycle for Change, and it allows donors to either donate bicycles or money, which he uses to buy and deliver bikes to underprivileged children. In the early days, the bikes were totally free for the children, but Darvakar learned pretty quickly that many of the parents were selling the bikes, and then the children were right back to walking 
and back to very often missing school. So now he charges each family a modest amount of money for each bike, and then once the child finishes school, the money is returned to the family. So it's an incentive that's too good for most to pass up. And the program is becoming very popular in certain regions. Around 500 children have been equipped with one of Darvakar's bikes so far. And the data shows that the project is significantly reducing the dropout rate in certain districts. So that's a, a remarkable difference, really, being made by one man who understands how precious education is. And one man who's working to give the gift of learning to as many children as possible. Mr. Gerald Fleury is the host of the Key of David program here on KPCG-FM, and he produced an episode about education a few years back, uh, and he, he focuses really on the dimension in modern education that is missing. And he makes a powerful case about just how detrimental the absence of that dimension is. Here's a clip from that episode. The survival of humanity really depends on true education. So I don't think you could find many subjects more important than this one. And they, they just don't seem to want to know. Man just doesn't seem to want to know how to solve his problems and how to be properly educated. See, the missing dimension is God. We have to bring God into our education. That's what we have to do. We've just seen a lot of students educated, but what kind of education is it that they have? We need that missing dimension in education. We need to bring God into our education. I'll tell you this, the education of this world is about to change forever. God is going to bring education and show man how to educate himself into happiness, joy, and peace forever. So that's Mr. Gerald Fleury there, as I said, discussing the missing dimension in modern education and the vital importance of true education. We'll leave a link to that full episode in our show notes, so you can find that at thetrumpet.com, or if you visit The Sun Also Rises on SoundCloud, you'll see the link to it there as well. Well, that brings us to the end of the show today. Be sure to email us your questions and comments to tsar at kpcg.fm. And if you can leave us a short review on iTunes, that's incredibly effective at helping other people to find the show. So if you, if you appreciate the show, leaving a short review there on iTunes is a really great way to help us out. Well, we thank you for tuning in today, and we'll leave you with some words about education from William Haley. He said, Education would be much more effective if its purpose was to ensure that by the time they leave school, every boy and girl should know how much they do not know and be imbued with a lifelong desire to know it. <laughs>